Last week we talked about the fact that the, the heart being the target of what we're trying to reach when we are working with people and even addressing what's going on in our own lives. By way of review, there was an analogy that we used about fruit stapling. And the analogy is just simply, if you have an apple tree in your backyard and you're tired of the apple tree and you want it now to be a peach tree, you don't go to the store and buy peaches and bring them home, pull off all the apples and then staple peaches onto the tree. And then when that's done, you take a step back and say, ah, now my peach tree, I can enjoy that. And as silly as that sounds, that's kind of what we do a lot of times in our own lives where we see something, a behavior that we don't like. And so we say, well, I'm just going to get rid of that and put on a different behavior and expect the problem to be fixed and us not to go back to those previous behaviors. So my question to you is if you can think of maybe something in your own life or something that you've seen in the life of another person, have you ever tried or have you ever seen somebody try fruit stapling? Apart from people just trying to put on a spiritual look, I mean, appear spiritual when there's nothing going on in their hearts, is uh, a couple of husbands and wives that I've dealt with that, uh, you know, they, the men know that they're supposed to be loving to their wives, but they're just past that, you know, and so they may do certain things that they think speaks love even to the wife or to people looking at them, but but they really don't. They're not really willing to sacrifice themselves and their interests for really giving themselves for their wives the way the Bible tells us to. So it's a, it's a hollow marriage. It's an empty marriage. And that leads us to the next one about well, when are we going to see actual change? When do you see real change? And the basis for this being in our context here, any kind of spiritual change, if my vertical relationship isn't where it needs to be, my horizontal relationships and the behaviors of me showing that I'm loving, kind, generous, etc., with other people aren't going to change as well. Uh, have you ever seen a situation like this? I'll start with an example. A couple years ago, God was working on my heart about just being more generous to other people. And it's not really until you, you know, meditate on and think about the sacrifice that God gave for us, His generous love to us, and the way that he generously gives good gifts to us, that then my heart to being generous towards other people changed. Growing a generous spirit in me was something that was an outgrowth of me meditating on and seeing the generosity of God. You know, with this too, we talked about the idols. What are, what are some of the idols or treasures that challenge the Lord for control of our hearts? You know, for me, sometimes it's just, I think my way is the right way to do something. And when you don't do it that way, then... Frustration, anger, annoyance. Let's go on here and dig a little bit deeper. The concept here, we want to, this is setting up what we're going to talk about today, but understanding your heart struggle and, and diving down deeper into it here. The concept that the cause of my struggle, we said, is not the people or the situations in my life, but the heart that I bring to those relationships and circumstances. How we can personalize this a little bit is I must be willing to examine the true ruling desires of my heart and learn how those desires shape my responses to people and circumstances. And then how we can apply this when we help other people here. But my effectiveness as an instrument in change involves helping others to recognize and confess what really rules them in any given situation there. Two passages that we're going to focus on this week, both showing how we will basically end up worshiping and serving the creation rather than creator and they will both demonstrate that what rules our hearts powerfully controls 
really how we see and how we respond to things that are around us and what's happening around us here. First one, fights and quarrels. If you would, turn in your Bibles to James 4, 1 through 10. James starts with that idea with fruit and the roots of the heart. And so as we read this, the question I want you to think about is what's the fruit we're examining in this passage? So in relationship to fights and quarrels, that's kind of the answer, but it's not exactly what I I want something a little bit broader here. So as we read this, what's the fruit we're examining here in this passage? From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoso ever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So the fruit that James is discussing here, as I said, kind of a fights and quarrels, but bigger picture here, we're just talking about human conflict, whether that's um, something that's happening with you and a group of people or you and an individual. It's something that we're all familiar with. You know, on my house right now, uh, on a daily basis, it is the toy that sits over in the corner that nobody pays attention to. But as soon as one person pays attention to it, it is the most valued possession on the face of the earth. And then after five minutes, it's the other toy in the other corner of the room. It could be a piece of junk, but if I said, oh, Barrett, do you want to play with this? As soon as I, 30 seconds later, Blythe wants the same thing. Or it could be, like we said, probably something we're a little bit more familiar with, but a disagreement between like a spouse or a close friend. Any of those, James wants us to examine the fruit of the conflict by asking what causes it. In short, James says, you fight with people because of what you want. It's not the people and the situations that make us angry. They really kind of only just provide us the occasion for it. By the way, if you don't think this is true, remove somebody. That sounds a little harsh, but like remove somebody from your life. And then all of a sudden you will find somebody else to cause those same kind of problems in your own life. You're like, oh my word, this person is just like that person. No, the common denominator is not other people. The common denominator is you. Zoom out here. When we talk about desires, where are these desires, these, these fights and quarrels coming from? They're coming from the desires of our hearts. But let me ask you, like, are desires bad? No. God has built in us the desire to have desires. However, it's what's happening with those desires that's the key here. And so James is going to ask us, how do those desires explain the conflicts in our lives? And the key phrase there is found, if you would look back in the passage there, but it's found after the word desires. And what analogy does he use there? War. What, in essence, why do you go, why does a country go to war with somebody else? It's control that's the problem here. Consider this for a moment as you interact with somebody else. If I'm interacting with you and I'm on a mission for something and you are working along or you're helping me out with that, everything's great. If you're falling in step with what I'm wanting to happen. 
But as soon as you put up any kind of barrier or cause some sort of obstruction to what I'm, co- what I'm trying to accomplish, now I respond in frustration, anger. My wife, she's a great wife when she's doing everything I want her to do. But as soon as she stopped doing what I want her to do and does something else, then I'm frustrated at her. And what's the solution? Get rid of her, right? That's the problem here. No, it's not the problem here. With your kids, with your coworker, with whoever it is. That's the point. That's, it's the control that's the problem. Remember that we said last week, there, there's a bigger picture here and a bigger problem that's going on here. And it's this idea of idolatry. You know, what, what am I serving? What am I seeking? What am I trying to control? What, what desire am I trying to, to have that will, you know, meet whatever I'm worshiping is essentially what the, what the problem here is. What controls the heart is what is going to control the behavior. As we're thinking through this, I want you to kind of follow this flow of thought because this pattern is going to help you identify maybe as you're working with somebody or even identifying something in your own life here. And it'll make this, this concept of desire and control. I want you to see the relationship between the two if you're not, not getting that yet. So consider these steps. The first one, desire. It typically is a phrase that starts with, I want, I want, whatever. It's desire is not the problem. So it starts with, I want. But then what it typically leads to is a demand, I must. The desire is no longer an expression of love for God and man, but something that I crave for myself. And then it becomes a need, I will. Something desirable is now seen as essential. I'm convinced that I can't live without this thing, whatever that thing is. And then an expectation, well, you should. Now is where my relationship begin to be affected, the relationships that I have begin to be affected. And if I really believe that this is a need, whatever this is, then it seems right to expect that you'll help me meet my need if you really love me. The problem is, is that a lot of times those needs we feel like aren't met and that's where it leads to disappointment. You didn't. Here's where the anger breaks out and sometimes becomes even personal because we see that person as being the object that's standing in our way of having the thing that we think we needed. And then it leads to punishment, as in I'm going to punish that other person for not going along and helping me meet that need, whatever I thought that that need was. And this is where a lot of times we respond to other people in anger, frustration. We give them the silent treatment. We say hurtful words to them. We have a spirit of vengeance. This is where the nasty happens. And it wasn't something that was like, where did this come from? Where did my anger, my anger just popped up. Your anger did not just pop up. There was a flow, and sometimes we're very quickly through this flow of thought, but it all stems out of the desire there. It's not the desire is bad, but then as we follow that flow of thought, it becomes and lashes itself out in one of those actions there. So the core principle that we need to understand here is that human conflict, whatever it is, it's rooted in idolatry here. And so when we explain this problem, when we're explaining this problem, it's not the sinful people or the difficult situation, but the problem is that I've given my heart to an idolatry of something other than giving my worship to God. What's the solution? Well, the the change doesn't start with controlling my anger. You know, remembering conflict resolution principles, being careful with my communication. Instead, change is going to begin when I submit to God. The change ultimately, we're going to be addressing two things. James says, he says, wash your hands. That has to do with a change in our behavior. We can't stop there. He also says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This has to do with the, the ruling, what's ruling our heart. A real-life illustration, they give us in this leader guide, real-life illustrations. You know how sometimes you've led a group before in your illustrations, you're like, hmm, how am I going to make this work? 
Well, I'm just going to read this one. Leaders, please offer an everyday illustration or case study for the James 4 principle. Describe a time in your own life when your anger, impatience, or irritation arose when someone got in the way of something you wanted. Example, unkind words to your wife because she wanted you to do a chore when you would rather relax. So that's not me, but all I have to do is cross out. Unkind words to your wife because she wanted to have someone over to your house when you wanted to rather relax. That's basically like my every other week. By the time it gets to Friday or Saturday night, what do I want to do as a guy? Sit on my couch and watch football and relax and do over. She wants to have somebody over. So that's my example. I get frustrated. I don't get angry. I'm much more mature than that. I've been married for six years now. So now I only just get a little annoyed that she wants to have somebody over on a Friday or Saturday night. I mean, that's my, that's my response. Next one here. Let's go ahead. We're going to talk Galatians 5, 13 through 26 is the next one. Another passage here that explains our heart struggles and how that struggle shapes our responses to people's and people and situations. So there's four sections here that this passage falls into. The first one is the call. What is the call in verse number 13? What's the call? That, okay, so the call here is really for us to serve one another in love. And this, I mean, this is a hard enough call as it is. Because typically it's a whole lot easier for us to demand what we want in a situation or to wait for us to be served. Again, those of you with kids, you understand this. Like, we are born this way. We are raised this way. Uh, I wake up in the morning, and what do my kids immediately tell me? I'm hungry. I want breakfast. Serve me. We want to be served. We want our demands met. It seems more natural for us to fight for our place for what is right in our own minds here. And so why is serving others such a struggle? Why does it seem to be so hard? Why does it demand such sacrifice? And why do so few of us really go through life with an attitude of service? Well, it's, that really comes, the understanding the difficulty of the call comes when we understand what the struggle is. And what's the struggle here? Well, the struggle is our own sinful nature and a way that we can describe it, which I like the, the term that's used here. But when we're called to serve one another, instead we want to indulge in our own sinful natures instead. And you understand this concept. If you're hungry, how do you indulge yourself? By putting food in your face. And it's the same way in, in our lives here. So instead of giving in to the call that God's given to us, we want to give in to the desires and the demands that our sinful nature present to us. So look down at verse number 24 here, because when we talk about indulging, I, I do want us to look at this word a little bit further here. That really is referring to giving in. How do we indulge our sinful nature? Well, we give in to the passions and the desires. When my responses to another person are not controlled by the Lord, instead by my desires and my passions here, instead what's happening, what ends up happening is that my responses are controlled by my powerful emotions, which are my passions, and typically my powerful cravings, what I want, and those are our desires. So it's usually, unfortunately, my feelings, my emotions, and my cravings. So whether that's fear, anger, discouragement, the desire to belong, the desire to be affirmed, any of those, that, that the agenda there is set on what are my passions, what are my desires, what are my emotions, rather than my, how is this going to please the Lord, or how is this going to going to impact, uh, impact others for, for him. It leads us, this passage leads us to a warning here. And that warning, what he warns us is, is that we can destroy one another. This is a different mindset because typically in these situations, who are we thinking about? Ourselves. And again, what's left in our wake is the, typically is some, something that 
You know, instead of a lot of times, instead of our responses being productive, they end up being more destructive. Instead of us responding in a kind word, it's usually an unkind word, or a lot of times it's instead of being selfless, we're selfish. The fact of the matter is, is that we're always influencing other people. And so our emotions, they don't just, they're not in a bubble. It's not like, well, it won't impact somebody else. Those do have an impact on somebody else. The phrase that's used, it has the, the power to potentially like break another person's spirit in the way that we respond. And when we think about it from that aspect, hopefully that slows you down a little bit and makes you think, how am I going to, in this reaction, going to have an impact on my kids, having an impact on my spouse, having an impact on the people that I'm trying to minister to or serve. And that should sometimes like put a little fear in your heart because I can't just, well, daddy just struggles with that. So that's just daddy. God's just working on him on that. That may be the case. But for me, again, as a, as a father, a young father, like that kind of scares me because a kid, you, we've all heard the stories, like a kid grows up and well, that's just, how does the world, by the way, attribute it? That's in his genes. No, kids saw daddy being angry. Our emotions, our desires, and our actions have a, have a heart impact. And I don't think that we think as much about that heart impact that we can have on other people. So the last one here, the provision. I know we've all felt this way, but it, you may sit, be sitting there thinking like, how, how am I ever gonna defeat this sin nature? How am I ever gonna have victory over this area of my life? It's so powerful. How am I gonna get ever, any victory with this? And we won't turn there, but Romans 6, the answer to our, how am I ever gonna get help with this? Or how am I ever gonna have victory over this? It really just lies in God's provision of what he's done for us. If you look at verse number 24, if by chance you want to look there, but very familiar verse. We've been crucified with Christ, right? Paul's basically saying is that when Christ died, I died. My old flesh, my old sinful nature died. When Christ rose, I rose to a new life where sin's power, it doesn't have power over me anymore. It's broken forever. That means I have the power to resist that control, to resist sin's control. It, that, must, that comes through submission. Submission to the Spirit, not just submission to Him, but relying on His power to have victory over things as well. There's a humble aspect of it and then a confidence in the power that is available to you to act the way that you need to act. And sometimes we get the, just the submission, well, I'm just going like, to sit back and humble and you know, I'll do what it... But there's also, there should be a confidence as well that the Spirit is inside of us. That warrior spirit is inside of us to help us fight that sin. That should provide some encouragement there is that the fact that victory is attainable for whatever that struggle is. But it, it doesn't just come with like a few steps. We don't just follow the nine, the nine points in the blog post. It comes through a lot of work and a lot of effort. And then war is not easy. If this is a matter of control and there's going to be some war and some fighting going on, then it is going to be a battle, it is going to be a struggle, and it is going to take some time. So whether that's something that you see in your own life or something in dealing with working with somebody else, give them that hope and give them that um, encouragement, but understand and help them understand that it isn't going to be something that, that necessarily is going to be easy or going to, be, going to happen right away.